You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Den of Thieves, which came out in 2018 and was directed by Christopher Gudegast. It stars Gerard Butler, Pablo Schreiber, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, Don Olvieri, Mo McRae, Evan Jones, Cooper Andrews, Maurice Compte, and Brian Van Holt. The genre would be bank heist thriller. Federal Reserve. The bank that's never been robbed. That's why we're going to rob it. Gang bangers, these are not. They're addicted to heists. Sooner or later, they'll need their fix. You're not the bad guys. We are. Friday. Make sure he knows it's on. I'm going to let you know now. Better wear your best. Anybody moves, you shoot. Do we look like cops who arrest you? We just shoot you. Boom. Den of Thieves. Rated R. Now, if you love Michael Mann's Heat as much as I do, and if you heard previous episode Heat, you would know that, you're not above enjoying any of the several different variations of Heat homages or knockoffs that we have seen since its release in 1995. There's The Dark Knight, which is comic book Heat. Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. There's The Town, which is Boston Heat. When your code of silence finally gives way to fear of trafficking in cigarettes to prevent sexual enslavement. I just want you to know that it's going to be me who tells you to go fuck yourself. There's man's own prohibition era heat, which is public enemies. There's law-abiding citizen previous episode, batshit Philly heat. There's the prestige, which is Victorian era magician heat. There's American gangster, which is Vietnam era heat. You sure? Black businessman like you, you represent progress. The kind of progress that's going to see them lose a lot of money. And of course, that brings us to this most recent version, which takes so many elements, including its L.A. setting from Michael Mann's original, that it's probably just best to call it Diet Heat. Which means that it has the same basic setup and premise of Heat. Stone-faced ex-con criminal mastermind, played by Pablo Schreiber, planning one last bank job with his crew. It's a lot of money right there, bro. Why don't we just call it a day? Really? You want three in hot bills? You're looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life? I would rather have 30 clean. I'm just saying. Versus burnt out, pseudo-alcoholic, obsessed career detective, played by Gerard Butler, trying to take him down with his own crew. Original gangster cop in the flesh. Bob and Bob. Huh? How's that mean tennis game? <laughs> yeah. mm. Look at you, man. Where'd you pick that up? Nice suit. Well, now with your shopping, I can't afford it. I mean, how does a county sheriff pay for such a beautiful piece of men's fashion? Can me this piece of shit? Ah, this is garbage. Look at you. This thing's dead. Must pull all kinds of sport in that, no? I, you know what? I can't. I can't. It. it it's too early in the morning for your fucking circus. You, you just threw a donut in, in the hot zone. No, yeah. I did not. You did. I did? That was fucking wrong. But yes, it is a diet version because it has less depth, less grandeur, 
lesser actors, sorry, arguably less action, and probably more dangling plot threads. And that's okay, because it's a fun, engaging watch with some crackling action set pieces, a wild go-for-broke performance by Butler at its center, several strong silent face-offs between antagonists, and some nice twists thrown in there. Butler, Schreiber, and Curtis Jackson, well, they might not be Pacino, De Niro, and Kilmer, but they are giving their all for these characters, and it shows. They deliver all of the beats that the script requires from them, and all of them work their way together through an increasingly complicated plot while still coming off as interesting people for the most part. O'Shea Jackson Jr. also proves that he's a star in the making. He's already well beyond the level of acting chops demonstrated by his father, Ice Cube, who's still great in his own lane, of course. And he gives a pretty canny performance as Donnie the driver for Schreiber's crew who ends up getting pulled by both sides. His character and performance ends up doing much of the heavy lifting for several directions that the story takes. And O'Shea shows that he's more than up to the task. It feels like half the time that we see him, he's getting strong-armed by another character. Ugh. Ugh. I'm just the driver. I'm just the driver. They don't give me no gun. I don't do no gangster shit. They asked me to drive, so that's what I do. That's it. Fuck. Why have Merriman hijack an empty armor car? I don't know. All right, they keep me in the dark for shit like this. If the cops come down on me, I can't tell them shit if I don't know shit. Now, y'all can hook me up to a lie detector, fucking polygraph, whatever y'all got. I'm telling you what I know, and that's all you'll get. But he plays those scenes nicely with convincing sympathy, but also a bit extra to show that there might be more to him than we see on the surface. And speaking of surface, Gerard Butler's boozy, gravelly-voiced performance is all surface. He just looks like someone who regularly does morning brunch at strip clubs to kickstart his day. But he puts it all out there for maximum entertainment value. His Big Nick, as he's referred to, is just a walking, talking collection of bad habits and bad attitude that everyone else on screen just has to deal with. And Butler is clearly having the time of his life playing this pathetic thug for justice, and he's genuinely fun to watch. What you doing here, huh? Work around here? Enjoying my dinner, man. Right. Really? Yeah. Uh, food here sucks. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, we come here for the ass. The last hour of the film is pretty much an extended heist action sequence involving a community bank, the Federal Reserve, and really bad traffic on a highway off-ramp. And it's a very well-executed and clever extended climax, leading the film to end on a satisfying, albeit derivative, note. Christian Gutegast wrote and directed this behemoth. And even though he's no Michael Mann, and how many directors are, to be honest? Well, he clearly has some chops, and I look forward to seeing whatever comes out of his enthusiastic mind next. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Den of Thieves has a runtime of 140 minutes. And while I have some doubts that it needed to be that long, it never quite drags and it ends on a pretty memorable note. As we have already seen the violent resolution of this ongoing standoff between our two main characters and their gangs, there is also a bit of a surprise twist at the very end related to the Donnie character that I have to admit I did not see coming. And right after this reveal, the credits kick in with this raucous blues rock anthem called Legendary. And it just has a fun, rousing hook to it. The band who performs it is the Cleveland-based outfit known as Welshie Arms. And they're a relatively new band who started in 2013. This song is from their 2018 album, No Place Is Home. 
Now, I don't know if the themes of the song really coincide with that of the film which preceded it, but hearing this sort of 80s arena rock throwback electric guitar heavy jam playing over the end credits as we pull back from an image of the film's title etched into a dollar bill is just kind of badass. And that fits the movie very well. Beers on me. Cause we're gonna be The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I do wish that this movie included more time spent off the job with Schreiber, whose often stone-faced ex-con is named Ray Merriman. Nick and Merriman apparently even have a bit of a history going back to high school, but it's never really explored that much. And the thing is that Pablo Schreiber is particularly good here. I've only known him for a prominent role that he had on the second season of The Wire, but his appearance here borders on being a star-making performance. Schreiber just projects a strong calm and even an upright decency, which is, of course, somewhat contradicted by the fact that he's an adept criminal leading heists, which result in the deaths of innocent people. But the way he talks, moves, and carries himself projects the stature of a reluctant warrior, which has helped with a backstory that he was actually a decorated war veteran before returning home to become a bank robber, an eventual convict. Schreiber just kind of looks 15 feet tall in many of his moments, and I kind of found myself even rooting for him. I just wish we got to know him better. We never have any scenes portraying his personal life, only how he interacts with the rest of his crew or his brief and usually silent interactions with Butler's Nick, including one memorable face-off between both crews at a local Benihana. Got family here, bro. Don't really appreciate you popping off. All right. All right, man. Considering how we do actually have several scenes portraying Nick's destructive personal life, I just wish there was more balance between the two main leads. This leaves Merriman feeling like more of a cipher, somewhat diminishing what could have been a genuine star turn for this actor. All that said, he does have one very effective dramatic moment towards the beginning of the movie, which leads me to the next category, the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. This movie opens up with an armored truck heist right in front of a donut shop late at night which gets increasingly violent off the bat, resulting in much gunfire and several deaths. It's a very effective action sequence to open the movie, but the postscript for this sequence is when the criminal gang is all gathered back at their garage in a quiet sequence. They're assessing the damage, including one of theirs who didn't make it out alive, along with several police officers who were instantly shot dead. This is our main introduction to Merriman, when he gives a very simple summation of the escalated trouble, or you could say heat, which they now find themselves in. You could. We're cop killers now. Of course, considering that this movie is essentially set up as a twofer between Merriman and Big Nick, I also have to include what I consider to be my favorite sequence of Gerard Butler just absolutely going for it as we see how much of a mess that his personal life has become. One scene in particular shows him at maximum dickishness, drunkenly crashing a private dinner party with his ex-wife. Well, his soon-to-be ex-wife, as he is delivering to her their divorce papers that she's had served to him. Now, Nick, of course, just can't review these papers off-site with an attorney and have them messengered to her. Nope. 
He has to make theater out of it by profanely demanding a pen from the host of the party, furiously scribbling his signature as he hurls threats at her new boyfriend, and then intimidatingly insisting on a hug from the poor guy before sauntering out. It's a pretty wild scene. Come here, give me a hug. Come on, we'll save a fortune in therapy. Come on, give me a hug. There you go. Just always got to make a spectacle out of everything. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Right, Nick, I think it's time to go. Hmm? Come on, Mike, let's go. Call the fucking cops. I'm I'm sorry, but it's, it's time for you to go. Call the cops. Now, does this scene really have anything to do with the rest of the film? Well, not really, but Butler just makes it memorable. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. In case it was not already obvious, there is one performer who just dominates this movie with both his swagger and his pathos. And of course, I'm referring to Jerry Butler. In today's movie marketplace, Butler has a true niche, and that's because he is one of the last remaining movie stars who's willing to carry pure B-level genre films like this one. And like several other peers of his, and I'm talking about Jason Statham, or hell, if we're being honest, Vin Diesel, I mean, those guys have just become 100% action stars coasting on physical presence and charisma. Unlike them, every few years, Butler really brings it as an actor to help elevate B-grade material into a genuinely good movie. And he helped do this with previous episode Law-Abiding Citizen, a couple of years ago with the underrated end-of-the-world disaster drama Greenland, and he's done it here again. His big Nick O'Brien is a tropey character for sure. I mean, very much influenced by Pacino's Vincent Hanna of Heat. But he makes this guy compelling, and he brings his own bizarre spin to it as well. Apparently, Butler was also asked by the director to gain about 25 pounds to fill out for this role, so he could better pull off portraying a hard-living, perpetually hungover, burnout cop. And it worked. He inhabits this role pretty convincingly. I mean, you could just smell that mixture of Jim Beam, Marlboro Reds, and sweat-stained leather whenever he appears on screen. Undoubtedly, of course, he's surrounded by a pretty strong cast who all do what they're hired to do. But for elevating Den of Thieves into one of the most rewatchable thrillers of recent years, Gerard Butler is the MVP. But with my character, you never know where he's going to go. Yes. He plays off book more than even a bad guy. They have more discipline. My character, because he doesn't, there's a chessboard, and then there's, I'll go screw your wife. You know, you want to move, you want to take my pawn, I'll screw your wife. You don't know where I'm going to go. And that's an amazing thing to watch. That's a great thing to play as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a lot of fun watching this guy. Yeah. As also, his life is a train wreck. My rating for Den of Thieves would be three and a half stars out of five. Of course, I have to give a special shout out to Bill Simmons' Rewatchables podcast for helping me discover this gem. The folks over there are as obsessed with the movie Heat as I am, so that pretty much tracks. And as far as Heat knockoffs go, it's just a fun rewatch. And if you're looking to watch Den of Thieves, it is currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another Poppin' Off review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.